All the great revivals and renewals in history started on a college campus. From young men and women who believed God and just took risks. From William Carey to John Wesley to Samuel Hills to the Haystack Revival, Lottie Moon. What's up, ladies? Out there. To CT study in Cambridge 7. It's God is at work in this age group. And I think God's still at work. Even in the midst of Corona, you guys. So that's why we, I wake up every and spend time with you guys. So if you want to get time, we'd love to serve you. We'd love to be alongside you. And all the staff are here to believe God's going to move with you guys. So it's hard to do that because it's hard to believe that God can move in your life, right? Because it can feel frustrating. And even that's kind of where we're, like, we're going to start at tonight in our talk is really kind of this frustration, this tension that we're feeling. Because the Navigator's motto is to know Christ and to make him known. We're going to kind of see what does that look like in the context of a pandemic, in the context of frustration, in the context of all the stress and anxiety. DeMar DeRozan a few years back got his max NBA contract and then expressed that he was having, struggling with depression. And so Twitter, of course, responded with generous care and generosity. Very gentle. Very gentle. <laughs> or they all reads him for being a millionaire who's complaining that it feels sad. Which you wouldn't think for like a millionaire that he yeah. struggled with depression. He has everything at the tip of his fingers. Yeah. What money can buy. I mean, he was killing. I mean, he's I mean, NBA players, top athlete in the world, right? And so on Twitter, he responded saying, I wish everyone in the world was rich so they'd realize money isn't everything. Mm -hmm. And we can just write off some of the struggles and challenges or frustrations, but we kind of all feel these tensions, right? That like something's wrong, right? Like it's something's off that I like I wake up and I just don't feel right. Or like I can look in the mirror and like even if I'm working out, I still don't feel good enough. Like there's more I can do. Like I can always do better, right? That feeling that it just never ends. Or sometimes you're scrolling on Instagram and you, you go to refresh it and nothing changes. What do I do in the rest of my life? Yeah, the angry seeking feeling as you're just like, nothing renewed. No one loves me. But that's the frustration, right? These paths can feel like there's no way to go, that there's like hope, or that there's life, right? Like we can keep pressing into them, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, I'm going to go to these parties and make connections. And there's so many choices. Like even just looking at Instagram, I can have this filter, I can have this persona, I can be this person if I want to be. And yeah. you get overwhelmed by how many options you have, even with majors. Yeah, I mean, some of you are on declare, right? Because you're so many majors, or you're debating your major, or you're debating, like, your parents. Do I live on campus? Do I not live on campus? Do I do this or do I not do this? Do I drive here? Do I stay on Zoom? Do I do this? And the anxiety is to just feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Tumblr alone announced there's 130 different gender types and sexualities. And now you have to choose yours, right? Am, am I gay? Am I not? Am I sort of gay? Am I sort of not? Do I like girls? Do I kind of like girls? Do I, am I a girl? There's all these frustrations. There's so much choice and so much anxiety. But all these paths feel like identities that are getting offered to me. And that they still don't feel like they can satisfy. And we can feel this tension welling in us. It's from REI selling me, this is what a mountaineer looks like. You need to wear this cool clothes or do this thing. And that's what it is. And it's, and it's gone, right? All the culture that I needed was gone, right? Because like, oh. trends just go like this. I mean, I was talking to my mom the other day, and she was like, oh, yeah, the high-waisted jeans, that, that was my look back then. But in five years, it's going to be gone. Because everything, they're just selling something different all the time. Yeah, I mean, most of us felt it when we went into uh, to shut in, or what do you want to call it? When you're in Yeah, and we had a 1,000 followers on Instagram, but no friends to talk to. 
Yeah. Maybe we talked on Zoom or text, but it just felt empty at some level. And that, that tension and that frustration, whether it's, you know, I can keep doing all these things, I spent three hours worried about what this post on Instagram looked like. But you have 500 likes, but nobody knows that I'm in my bed crying. But I posted a really cute coffee pick, maybe with a Bible verse. Yeah. And that's the tension we kind of really wrestle with. All these identities, all these frustrations, it feels like I'm changing hats and that I'm never satisfied. That I always feel, you know, I could hit the pinnacle, I could be Tom Brady with two MVPs and three Super Bowls and think, is this enough? And kind of we're all hot mess with that, right? Like we're kind of all feeling a tension of unsatisfaction. And I just want you to know whether you're, you know, feeling that frustration right now and this was the worst week of your life because you thought you'd be friends at campus and you weren't allowed to go outside without a mask. Or you are struggling with your sexuality. You don't really know if you feel safe in this room. I just want you to know that you're welcome here. Mm -hmm. That you can bring that messiness into this community because we're a messy bunch. If you were looking for the perfect ministry, you found the wrong group. Um, we're, we're a group of hot messes and we welcome yours, you know? Um, because we're going to be on this adventure together and we're kind of all on these journeys. And Bri, I know that you've experienced some of that frustration on your journey. Yeah, yeah, I know that I have struggled on and off with just major depression, eating disorder. I put my identity in dance. Um, for anybody who's a dancer out there, no, yes, Woo! oh yeah. Um, I was a dancer and I had this perfect image in my mind of what I want to look like and I'm constantly looking at a mirror for hours upon hours throughout the week. Is my foot straight enough? Oh, my body doesn't look right. Uh, my foot is not this specific way and constantly analyzing myself. And I remember, I want to say a few months before the summer of my senior year, right before I entered college, I hit probably the lowest point in my eating disorder where I was working out at the gym twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. I had a calorie counting app. It made sure that I only ate about 700 calories a day. And I just did not like myself. I did not want to do this anymore. And I had grown up in a Christian household, had gone to church um, for my whole life, but I was just so done with it. And I remember coming home one morning and being like, you know, I, I just want to take my life. Um, and I had a belt around my neck ready to just end it and thinking, is there hope? Is there anything outside of this? And I think there was something in the back of my mind that was just like, you know, I think, what if I just try? What if college is better? So my plan for coming to college was I was going to create a new identity. I was going to come to college. I wasn't going to necessarily drop church because that's just kind of what I did. But I was going to come to college, drink, party, have sex, drugs, just the whole shebang because I wanted something new to fulfill me. And thankfully, I experienced like a different version of Wow Week because we had Wow Week COVID style. Um, but I found this group called Navigators and it's like, well, I entered to win a free semester to Chipotle. Maybe you guys did that. Hopefully somebody in this room wins. Um, and I had actually Alex's wife, Shauna, who kept following up with me and I ended up in her Bible study. 
and got to see what it looked like to actually dive into the scriptures and to have a relationship with God face to face. That it wasn't just something that I came to on a Sunday, maybe came on a Wednesday, and then the rest of the week I just did whatever I wanted. I have this relationship with a God who loved me, who cared, who said that he calls me by name, that he knows every hair on my head, and was able to see that through the scriptures, through the word of God. Um, and so that really changed my life. College changed my life. Yeah, it takes you to vulnerability. It's so hard to admit our, our hot messness, right? We want to kind of keep the veneer that it's all together. That's a part of the problem is I have to keep a smile on mm-hmm. when I'm suffering through life. I don't really know if anybody knows me. I could be in a room and feel isolated. And it's interesting. Gene um, Twinge said, in the next decade, we may see more young people who know just the right emoji for the situation, but not the right facial expression. Now, we just don't know how to communicate when that hurt is happening. How do we find help? How do we press in? How do we really get to know people? And that's what's challenging. And we can just feel so alone and hopeless that we're in this situation of what do we do? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the amazing thing is the scriptures are filled with hot messes that God interacts in their pain, in, their, in those moments of crisis when we don't know your identity, when it feels like I've tried all these hats and nothing works. And I, I specifically think of uh, Genesis 15 in Abraham's story. And so if you want to open to Genesis 15, you can. Um, or we'll just kind of read, we'll be able to hit on this. But Abraham, it's not Abraham yet. So he's Abram. So we'll talk about why that matters in a little bit. But in Genesis 15, there's this, this story that's really interesting because talk about wanting life to go well. Abram is moved on a promise that God said that he was going to bless him and bless people and that it was going to happen through his descendants. And so it's interesting because at this point, it's been 25 years since God spoke. So just think of this. God said he's going to promise you something, and then 25 years later, it still hasn't happened. It's like he promised you that something was going to happen at UNF, and it still doesn't feel like it's going to happen, right? I mean, maybe you felt that twinge this week, right? Um, You're anticipating your first week of college, and then just everything's going to be It's different. way different than what you wanted, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's worried about legacy, right? Like, so uh, let's read this. And so it's just one through six. I'm just going to read this real quick. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in, the vision, in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and looked toward the heavens number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him his righteousness. This tension, he's frustrated because he doesn't really know what to do. He's at this point where God's promised him something or he's expecting something and it's fallen through. I don't know if you've ever been there where it's like, man, I wanted my friends to come through and they didn't show up. Or I wanted my boyfriend or girlfriend to satisfy me and it still didn't work. I wanted this party to be cool, but I still feel empty. I remember at Chick-fil-A when I was reaching out to my coworkers. He could go party and hang out and meet all these girls and hook up and do all this stuff. And one time he sat across the table for me and says, Alex, I don't even know why I do it at this point. I'm just empty. And maybe you can feel that frustration when you're alone in your room or when you're struggling with anxiety or doubt. And so in the midst of this, what happens? In the midst of his anxiety, what happens? God meets him 
face-to-face. -face. Not over a Zoom call, right? Not over like a telephone call. God meets him face-to-face -face because God is a being who wants to meet us face-to-face. -face. When Adam breathed, when God breathed the breath of life in Adam, what's the first thing he saw was God. And one day we'll see him face-to-face, -face, right? That's the promise. And it's because that's the discontentment. When you're like, why don't I like Zoom? Or why do, I, why do I want to meet people? It's because we're designed to be face-to-face. -face because God wants to meet us face-to-face. -face. So in the midst of his crisis, God shows up. So maybe you're in the midst of crisis, you want God to show up. Maybe you need him to be your shield and your reward. And so in that, he's got this frustration. And so God's going to give him a promise. And what does he do with this promise? It's amazing. He takes him outside. And can we just imagine this moment? You can close your eyes if you need to. But God meets with him and he's in a tent. They're out in the midst of the desert. It's dark. And he walks him outside and he says, Look at the stars. Can you number them? I mean, do you think it was cloudy that night? Or do you think you can see the wonder of the majesty of the universe? And he's like, That's the promise. You're descended to be more multiple than that. And we're a part of that promise. I think every night when he went outside, when he felt doubt and fear that God was going to come through, he'd look up and remember that God said, here's my promise. Mm -hmm. Think about that when you go outside today. That God wants to promise us these things. Mm -hmm. And what is his promise? Is you feel like this little frustration, this anxiety, this control situation can't handle it? That you need a better thing? Because he actually pimped out his wife to go force the promise in the next few chapters because God didn't show up fast enough. And the reality is God promising those things doesn't mean it's going to flip on like a light switch. Yeah. That my anxiety is just not going to go away probably tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel that even specifically with depression. It's not that it just magically went away when I started opening up my Bible or meeting in a Bible study. We're not promising that. But there's something even now during COVID or when I feel anxious or when I go through bouts of depression that I have a hope to cling on, that I can go back just like Abraham and look back. God had promised Abraham this land and even after 25 years, he was clinging on to the promises of God. And so that's why even it's just so important and so valuable to get into the word. Um, and that's what I go to, that Jesus is enough. Yeah, he's a promise keeper, and that when he says something, he's going to do it. Even though it's funny enough, after this moment, it's going to take another 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. Think about that. Think if God said, hey, I have something for you and you and, I, and you don't get to see the fruit of it for 50 years, 75 years. Mm. What if you're praying for your family to come to know Christ and it takes 60 years? Is it worth it? Because mm. sometimes it doesn't feel like it, right? What if he says, I will be enough for you? Give up this addiction before I. That's what he asked me. Like when he says, I come to give life and life abundantly, did I believe him? That was a question, right? And C.S. Lewis captured this so well. He says, um, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drinking, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he can't imagine what is meant to by an offer of a holiday at the sea. Mm. We're just far too easily pleased. See, God isn't promising us small things. He's saying, I have infinite joy and contentment. Yeah. And at my hand, right hand, are pleasures forevermore at Psalm 16, right? But we're satisfied by little, little bits. You know, we're trying to snack on Oreos when we need to eat steak for dinner, you know? 
And sometimes I do that, right? I'm just like not on snacks, but then I'm like, I feel like gross later, and it's like, but I'm still hungry. Mm-hmm. And I eat a whole bag of popcorn instead of actually just eating food. And that's where we can get to in life, in these moments, where we're just settling down these roads or these identities. Am I gonna just accept this identity because that will make me feel better? I need a boyfriend to satisfy me because that won't be enough either. What if I actually took God upon his promises? And so we look at how does he how does Abraham take up or Abraham take him up on his promise? It's Genesis 15:6. Guys, this is like such a powerful verse. Without this, we'd be missing so much of the gospel. It says, and Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him his righteousness. Abram didn't get his life together. You don't need to come into the navigators and get your life together. He didn't figure it all out. He didn't memorize the Bible. Because guess what? Abraham didn't have the Bible. What did he do? He believed God. And by faith, God credited him righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It's right seeing in this broken world of relationship. It's no more he was trying to do it his own way. And you know what? He still messes it up later. But God still credited him as that righteousness because of faith. And in the faith of his promises, we're going to talk about the big promise God is offering us and what that looks like and how to engage in that. But we need to believe that God, by faith alone, we can believe in the promises. That you don't need to clean up the mess or get the correct identity put on or put on the right shirt or put on the right persona or put on the right image on Instagram. A million followers on TikToks still won't satisfy because you'll feel the pressure of that never-ending cycle. Keep up the performance. Keep putting on the image. But can I believe God? Jeremy is just challenging us. I'm going to talk about that later, but I want to pause here on the promise. Or actually, let's not pause. Because as we think about these promises, in faith alone, that's a challenge for us, right? I mean, it's hard to believe God and to like really weigh in on that matter. Because like, I want to do something, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It leaves us wanting, right? Like, I, I want to fix the problem. I find a broken identity. I feel like I struggle with my sexuality. Or I struggle with my, my image. Or I look in the mirror and I don't like that person. And I want to respond with what? An instant solution. An instant solution, yeah. right? I was actually figuring this out the other day when I was reading. I was, uh, my backyard, this is what happens when you buy a house, guys. This is what getting old is like. So there's weeds all throughout my yard, and I don't want to clean them up. I just want an instant solution, a pesticide. But my wife's like, well, don't poison our child as he walks around. <laughs> so I look online on like hundreds of websites to find a pesticide I can put on this ground. But you know, every natural site says we have to do is actually go out and pull the weeds. You have to start from the bottom. It takes work. It takes work, right? And you're out sweating. Like, you're not right. Yeah, it's not instantaneous. It's done. But I want an instant fix, and I want that in my faith, too. I think even going back to struggles, like, I think in an instant, it can so often be like, okay, well, God just didn't fix this right now, so God really just doesn't care, you know? I waited for five years, and God just hasn't done that. Does God even care about me? And I think even going back, I think seeing stories like that, seeing stories of Joseph, seeing stories um, throughout the Bible of, God coming through with his promises, but maybe it's not how we think it's going to look like, or maybe it takes 50 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the challenge right now. We're in the midst of COVID, we're out of election, and we can trust in all these other things, but God's saying, Will you believe me? Mm. I can take care of the problem. Yeah, 
that this isn't out of my reach. So we're going to pause here and do some discussion together. And so we're going to get, you're going to sit in your breakout rooms if you're on Zoom with us. And then we're going to kind of turn if you want to turn to some people around you, like four to six people. And look, we're going to have two questions to talk about. Um, but look, there's no right or wrong answers here. I just want you to know, we're, I told you this is a room of hot messes, right? And to be a hot message, you got to kind of open it up. And I know the fear is to close it off and be like, but I have it all together. Or I used to struggle, right? This has been hard. Or I know other people who struggle. Well, I just want you guys to know, hold on. I don't care about, Razzin for this second, I don't care about anybody else outside of this room for this mm -hmm. second, okay? I just want you to worry about you right now. Which sounds so selfish. No, because if you can find healing in your heart, you'll be able to help those people as well. God wants to change your identity. And so this is the good news that Christ died for sins once and for all. That you don't have to get it together because the work of God is already completed. That Jesus on the cross says to tell us die in Greek, which means it's finished. And that means, because that's like what you declare at the end of a race, that you ran and it's finished. It's done. I've completed it. There's no more to go. And so he finishes there. And what does he do? He died for sins. And that maybe is a little confusing of a word. But just think of, like, sin, often when you say, oh, it's bad stuff. Well, like, I lie sometimes, or I think of somebody in anger. And Jesus took all this stuff of anger and murder and said, God, before God, it's not okay. But it's not just about moral failings, right? See, that's the challenge. See, God's holy, and he's a king, right? And see, when we sin, we say that our way is better than God's. Total and it's rebellion. total rebellion. So see, when God talks about holiness, he's not trying about being a better person. He's talking about getting in line with the way he designed the universe. And so the way it's supposed to work. See, that brokenness, that like off-clunky feeling that we all have, that it was like, well, this just doesn't feel right. Or something, maybe you have a tension with a friend that you just never feel settled. Or maybe, you know, that brokenness, that sin, that distrust, that relationship that's broken with God. It's like if you had a girlfriend or boyfriend, you broke up with him and you see him in the hallway and you're like, like, you're like, don't talk to me, you know? That's the feeling. That's the broken relationship we have with God because of our sin. Not because um, God is mean or vindictive, but because he's so good that our impurities just couldn't stay around him. And so what does he do? He said to Christ, face-to-face -face with us, right? God from on high. The undignifying part of the cross wasn't being beaten and mocked and scoffed. It was that his divinity, he gave it up to come down on earth and be one of us. That was undignified, which is crazy to think, right? So then what does he do? He dies for sins? I love this part. One sin for all, right? See, this is the thing. When often we think we got to about get right with God, y'all. It's like, but the problem is there's you only get right with God once. Which is so, yeah, I think even looking back at my story, even I think everybody can relate, just constantly feeling like, oh, why am I, why am I never good enough? Why can't I do this? I, yeah. even, I mean, I still feel this way sometimes. I, I shared with my roommate, Ellie, um, who's also on staff, that I was just like, oh, I just feel like I can never get my anger under control. And there's that feeling of shame and that feeling of, why can't I have it all together? But the truth of the gospel is, is that I don't have to have it all together. That once and for all, like you said, it is finished. Yeah, because then, right, Abraham in 15.6 gets credited righteousness. See, this is huge. Because we think that's a New Testament thing. 
that's they're like all the great theologians look at Genesis 15:6 and say it's by faith alone the whole way through the scriptures because it starts in Genesis. Yeah. And we need to believe God that He when He says it's done once and for all that it's true. And that's the challenge for us every day is to actually believe that. Yeah. And that as we press into that, there's a lot more, right? Because He died. Who, who died? The righteous for the unrighteous. Another reminder that we're not, we don't have it all together, right? And he's trying to say, if you can't admit you're imperfect or you're not good enough, because we all aren't perfect, right? Anybody that's stuck in the building perfect? Because we might have to show you that, because the rest of us are a hot mess, you know what I'm saying? But he was perfect. So see, he completed the work you couldn't do. See, the crazy thing about Jesus' life is that he was so good, he actually condemned you because he proved he could do it. It's like when I play basketball against LeBron, it doesn't look like a little bit of a beating. He like wrecks me, right? And it's like proves that I should never play basketball. But like Jesus is a way higher standard, right? And so the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? What was great is Jesus, Jesus' great motivation to suffer on the cross, to put on flesh and bone and be humiliated, to bring us to God, to bring back that relationship that was broken. See that awkward moment down the hallway? God never looks at you again like, you fool. You screwed it up. I knew you would. You know that time you promised God, I'll never do that again? Please, God. You know? Or you're like, God, if you just if you help me during this exam, I'll study next time. And then you don't study next time? He didn't wait for you to scold you that day. He wasn't like waiting that night to be like, I told you so. Because he never looks at you again with all that grief and shame. Because why? Because Christ already took care of it once and for all. So even when you're going to mess up as we head downstairs and you eat too many freeze pops or something like that, or you go eat Wawa at like 11 o'clock at night and it's not good for your body or something like that, it's okay. Because Christ already took care of it. It's okay, you know? Even if you wait and look at porn an hour before this meeting, or you're going to go look at porn after this meeting, God already took care of that. Why? Because God wanted to bring you back into a relationship with him. And that was the only way he could do it, because we weren't going to be good enough to get there. And so, it's hard because I'm proud, and I want to hold on to this stuff, and even I want to keep my good deeds up, or I want to be good enough, or religious enough, or spiritual enough. And some of you in this room are going to try and be spiritual enough in Bible study to be good enough for God, and it's still really good enough. <laughs> yeah, somebody came up to me and was like, do you want me to tell you about Tulip, her freshman year? And I was like, oh, how about we read the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I think even just coming, growing up, some of you, I don't know, grown up in the church, and I know for myself, even just looking uh, at Paul's life, how he had said that he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, that he knew it all, that he had all this zeal that by everything, like everybody could point at Paul and be like, yeah, that guy has gone all together. But he was murdering Christians. Yeah. And I mean, I look at my own life, even just looking at Paul's and being like, I came in wanting to prove myself and thinking, well, I went to church, so I'm good. Even though I wanted to go out and party and yeah. have sex and do all this stuff. And that, it wasn't my identity that wasn't what made it worth it. Because in the end, my righteousness or what I thought was righteousness yeah. wasn't enough. Yeah, we're going to wrestle through that all semester. Like these talks and our as we press into this thing, this isn't going to be a magic cure of things. There's no silver bullets to your anxiety. You know, we're going to press in, we're going to be a counselor and talk about anxiety. This we're, going to, we're going to press into fear and sexuality and all these things that these other identities that keep getting sold to me. 
because we need to believe the gospel. Even Jerry Bridges says that I need to preach the gospel to myself daily. That I need to remind myself of the gospel. That I need to go out and look at the stars because the promise is still there. Isn't that great? A natural phenomenon is supposed to show us that God is promising. Rainbows are meant to remind us that God promises us. You didn't learn that in little Bible school with felt pads just to forget it. That God is a promise keeper. And so that's the challenge. Our greatest challenge is not my devotion, not being more disciplined, like I need to get more quiet times tomorrow. It's not my focus. I don't need to throw away my phone. My greatest challenge is to believe the gospel matters to me every single day. That God could love so scandalously, so wide, so deep, so vast, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive, that I just need to believe that yeah. and receive this gift of a new relationship. And that even reminds me as you're talking about Philippians 3, 8. It says, um, and you can turn there if you have your Bibles. Um, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And even just thinking that there are so many things, as we were talking about earlier, that you can buy into or go into, but that Paul is saying that he counts it as rubbish, as just disgusting trash. Yeah. In comparison to knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. You might be wondering, is it just a cute motto or slogan to know Christ and to make it known? No, it's actually the most valuable thing in the entirety of the universe. That list of cool things that you talked about Paul gave is right before this verse. He said, all my achievements, all my identity, you could go make six figures tomorrow. You still wouldn't feel satisfied, right? Tomorrow to Rosen was still anxious. Your major isn't going to satisfy you. Though I want you to graduate and get a great job and love Jesus because we need missionaries in the nursing home. We need people who are going to go into great schools and love kids for Jesus. We need people to go and preach the gospel in the far flung ends of the earth. Because some of you in this room, I believe we're going to go do that. But all of that is nothing compared to the value of knowing Christ. And for some of you might be sitting in this room, maybe you've never actually started that relationship. And so before we even go past this, I want to pause to even say, if you feel like that's true for you, you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, I think it's worth trusting in this promise by faith. Remember, you don't have to clean it up, you don't have to get it all together, but it's worth pausing to say, I want that gift. I want that restored relationship. Nothing is more valuable than that. And so I'm going to pray a prayer that you're welcome to pray. Sit here, it's okay. No, no, right? It's not like we're all taking skating and voting. It's okay. Everyone else can just say amen because it's still the gospel, right? And Jerry Bridges said to preach it to yourself every day. So this is a good reminder for you. So I'm going to pray for you. If you want to pray with me, you can. And I would love to talk to you or really love to chat with you. I'll like talk to you. Okay. So I'm going to pray. God, I want to put my faith that that promise is true, that nothing is more valuable than knowing you, Christ Jesus. And that you, the righteous one, that for me, the unrighteous one, to bring you back to God. And now, as I believe that and claim that, I have a restored relationship with you and a new identity. And God, would you make that truth for my heart? Would this semester be different because of this promise I claim to? And would you keep reminding me of this promise as I'm scared and I don't feel like it's enough? Will you watch Jesus? Amen.
If you prayed that, congrats, you just uh, received the best gift you ever going to get in your entire life. I'd still love to chat with you about that. Because that is the greatest gift, right? Is this knowing Christ. And right, we can just like throw that off as like, oh yeah, yeah, like know Jesus. Like that's what I do, right? We, like a Bible group or something like that. We should probably talk about it. But I, I, it's not a light switch, right? Like Abraham didn't get it all together. God actually paused in all of creation. Just think about this. God, the guy running the universe, paused to get into his mess. And do you believe God actually wants to do that for you every single day? That Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, morning by morning he wakens me to be one who is taught. That every single day he's waiting for you to come speak to him. That this isn't what he might say because he might show up. This is what he is saying because he is here and he wants to speak to you single day. And God will meet with you and get in your mess and help you see that the value of knowing Christ surpasses all the other things. And that's so powerful as we get into the scriptures because he wants to give us this new identity, right? But the problem is believing that identity with all the noise. I mean, there's so much, right? Like, you're, you're hopping on TikTok, you can add green the cheese, right? Green cheese, nine, seven. Right? There's, there's social pressure that the phone is digging you constantly to keep up this identity, right? Like, Duos Linos is like, hey, you haven't got in a while. You should really start learning Spanish, you know? And I'm like, oh, dang, I haven't learned this. And I feel the shame, right? And the shame keeps coming from all these identities that I'm failing. Have you ever posted a photo on Instagram and, like, wasn't as popular as you had thought? And you're like, this was what I wanted. But the shame, yeah, the shame that you feel like, that person probably didn't like me. That, I, that wasn't a great picture. I should change who I am. And I think even going back to our identities, why is Jesus it for me? Why is he worth it? Thinking that my identity is new. I am complete in Christ. Yeah. And even I was going on a run this morning and was thinking about how the, in the blood, sweat, and tears of running, I was like, oh, Revelation 21.4. And thinking about how the Bible says that there will be a day with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more COVID, no more masks. And I might not see it right now, but I know that because I have put my hope and my trust in God, that, that I have that promise. Um, there's a poem, a Footprints in the Sand, that you guys might have seen or heard. Um, some people might have loved it. And I remember actually during some deep depression um, being shared that poem. And it talks about how, like, you know, God is right, walking right beside you, and then at some point you don't see, you see, like, one set of footprints instead of two, and that God was carrying you. But I know that God was, God was carrying me the entire time, yeah. and that he was with me in my suffering the entire time. There was never a time that he wasn't holding me. Um, so I, There's not even a moment of self-sufficiency. Yeah. That actually are... I love that first Peter's gonna talk about testing the trials. That those aren't trials to see how great a Christian Alex is. Those trials are meant to make me feel the dependency I need. I don't fast so that I'm cool and hip, or that I'm like, look how great I am with Jesus. It's to show that as my stomach cringes and wants pain, I say, that should be my heart longing for Jesus. That I worship something every hour, every minute, every day I need you. And that he's going to give us that identity, right? Isaiah talks about he's going to write beloved. And you guys get that? Like God doesn't actually just like, he doesn't think of you as like, oh, a number in the kingdom. 
Peter's not one of the like, four million Christians in the U.S. He looks at you as his beloved. He rejoices over you with loud singing. He's so excited. He's ready and waiting. I see this when I go home, come home, and Jude just looks at me, and he just starts sprinting the pure joy that he knows somebody who loves him affectionately has come home to care for him. That God cares for you that way. And that morning by morning, he wants to awaken you because he cares for you. He's not wanting to have a quiet time of just doing an obligation. He doesn't need you to pray. He's not like more in charge of the universe because you pray. You have to put hope that that relationship is worth it. No, my hope is not in some big white house and who sits in it, right? My hope has to alone be in Jesus holding this universe together because if not, it's going to go off the rails because it kind of already is headed off the rails. And it doesn't even, it could be COVID, it could be this crisis or this crisis. And see, in Jeremiah 2.5, this isn't like a new thing that we've wrestled with, right? It says, thus says the Lord, what... What did your fathers find in me that they were far from me? They went after worthlessness, and then they themselves became worthless. And see, I like that I chase after the things I value. If I value something, it gets my time, my energy, my thought, right? And whatever I go after, I become like. And so if I go after worthlessness, if I go after all these other things, these other identities I could become in, I will become like those. And Jesus is, but Jeremiah is telling them that you, after those things, you'll become worthless. And so that leaves you wondering, what is my college career going to look like? What are the things I'm going to value and then therefore chase after? Because those will shape me and become me. Am I just going to be a good student? Well, what happens when you graduate and you're not a student anymore? Am I just going to pursue having a wife or a good girlfriend? You know, it's so funny. I see this all the time. Guys are like, well, I'm going to have a great girlfriend. And they flirt with all the girls, and then they finally get in a relationship. And now, then they no longer know how to relate to the opposite sex, right? Because you can't flirt with a girl with a, with a girlfriend, right? I can't be, like, hanging out with my wife and be like, so, great, how's it going, you know? Because that would be awkward and wrong, you know? So, uh, what am I going to chase and what am I going to value? You have to decide that. No one else can decide. Sitting in this room doesn't make you more a Christian. You have to come to a decision. You will have to do that. And you know what? There's going to be a million things to say yes to. You're going to have to choose the things to say no to often. You're going to say no a ton so that you can choose yes for the best things. And so I'm just telling you this because I, I love church. I uh, actually go to Chess on the north side, so woohoo. Um, it's right together. There you go. Broken finger. Out. No, um, the gospel. The gospel. But you know what? Going to a physical building and being in a place isn't going to change you. Sitting in your, your garage isn't going to make you a car suddenly. And going to church isn't going to make you a Christian. You can listen to your pastor preach. You can listen to us talk about the gospel. It's 40 minutes. Well, in 40 minutes, you only retain 10% of what you hear. So that's four minutes. Hopefully they're four continuous minutes of what I just said, right? Because if not, it's incoherent babble. But that's what we trusted, right? Even if you go 52 weeks out of the year, guess what? That's one Marvel movie worth of time. And how many Marvel movies have you watched in the last few years, right? 22 of them or whatever it is now? And I don't think they changed your life. So unless you start to place a value and you put ownership in there, then it'll just be a thing. And it'll be like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and a student and a southerner, 
in this, in this. Going to an event isn't going to change the world. Coming to this isn't going to change you. God is waiting for his people to step up and trust his promises and press into the Great Commission. You guys can change the world. I told you that right on the onset. The world isn't waiting for a new form of Christianity. The world is waiting for us to demonstrate Christianity. That's what will change the world. And so tonight as you think, like, well, what, how do I do this, you know? Well, you know, you can't do it alone. There are no lone wolves in the kingdom of heaven. The gospel itself connotates, I need somebody else's help, right? I need Jesus's help. And so every day I actually need other people around me. And you're like, well, I don't have that. Perfect. I have a Bible study you can sign up for. And you'll have people around you to help you, to press in, to hold you accountable, to tell you you're messing up, and to help to actually encourage you. Because a lot of times I just need somebody to say I'm doing a good job. That's right, you know what I'm saying? So next week we're going to talk about community. Keith and I are going to talk about community next week and what that could look like. Because honestly, community is kind of scary sometimes. I've been hurt sometimes. And so we're going to talk about community. And I, I know there's lots of great ministries on campus. You might be trying out this ministry. You might be trying out four other ministries. Here's my challenge. Pick one. It doesn't have to be this ministry. And God, you know, God's using this ministry. He's used it for decades or for a decade. Um, there's lots of great ministries. But don't be involved in everything but be nowhere. Wherever you are, be all there. And so invest in relationships. And so... Um, even as you look at Bible studies, look, we're gonna we're gonna read First Peter. You're not gonna know every answer. That's okay. That's the point of the study is to figure it out together. And I will say the first Bible study usually is the most awkward. I remember yep. my freshman Bible study going and being like, I don't know any of these girls, and we're all just staring at each other because we're awkward freshmen. Um, and so I want to challenge you, just like I'm watching a Netflix show. You want to watch a series? I know Alex hates yeah. The Office. I love The Office, and the first episode of like, the first season stinks. But if you watch, if you continue on and watch more episodes, it gets so much better. Huge Office fan. Yeah, this is my Netflix theory, right? Every show gets two or three episodes. So would you? No, no. See, if you give it once, you have real experience. And this yeah. is the reality. In community, it takes a little while. Relationships aren't instantaneous. Trust isn't built overnight. Yeah. And so what I would say is take a risk. If you're willing to watch, you know, 30 hours in the office or whatever it is, how about take two weeks, try relationships. Would this be a place that you take a risk in community? Even if you just go to Bible study for two weeks and you guys, you're like, these guys are goons, I'm not in. Well, shocker here, you're kind of a goon too, but I get that. But would you take the risk at least? Would you press in for two weeks, you know? I, it's hard to kind of gauge relationships if you only talk to someone and would you even put down the barriers? We're going to talk about what Bible study looks like next week as we talk community and how to get the most out of the Bible study. But it's, guess what? It's not having all the right answers. I'll tell you that. 